Welcome to the Accra Community Church Podcast. As you listen to God's word today, may it become for you fresh water for your thirsty soul, give you hope to cope, and wisdom to thrive, excel, and become everything God says you are. God bless you as you listen to today's sermon. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness. We thank you for the fact that the truth that you never lose a battle and the war is already won. We thank you. We thank you for this victory that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray that it will become our everyday reality, Lord, that in our everyday affairs, in the simplest of our decisions to the complex ones, we'll be victorious because of your grace that abounds towards us. Father, we thank you. We pray that we'll hear you, we'll hear your heart, and we'll hear your voice this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So today I want to speak on a short uh, sermon titled, Suffer to Gain. (laughs) Suffer to Gain. So when I was a kid, Suffer to Gain was when they serve you your food, and you eat everything and wait for when you finished with the carbs and the vegetables, all the things you normally don't want before you chew the fish or the chicken or the meat. It means you suffered and you gained. Um, that was something I really struggled with because, you see, I grew up in a compound house and uh, there were always bigger kids. So anytime I got my food, the first thing I chewed was the fish or the meat. So if anybody came and hawked over my food, well, they can eat some rice or some banku or some kenke. You know, but the best part... It's already gone. <laughs> you know, and I was looking at Apostle Peter's letter to the churches in the book First Peter, and I hear him preaching a suffer to gain kind of sermon to them. You know, and in fact, if I look at this letter, it looks a lot like Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus and also his letters to the church in Corinth in terms of the argument and the structure. And ultimately in chapter 5, where it ends, he makes some serious conclusions. If you look at the letter uh, to, to the churches, this, is, this was a circular, so it wasn't written to, unlike the letter to the church in Corinth or the letter to the church in Ephesus. This was written, in fact, the apostle Peter was illiterate, so he dictated this letter to Silas. Silas wrote it, you know, and it was meant to be read in a number of churches. So in verse 1 of chapter 1, he already starts mentioning the many churches that the letter was supposed to be read in. And I kept wondering, why these many instructions? Why is it instruction after instruction, order after order, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that? Why? Why? Why so many instructions? And he says, listen, you will suffer. Suffering is expected if you are a Christian. Suffering is expected because our Lord and Savior Jesus himself suffered. So if you follow him, what makes you think you won't suffer? And then he said, but there are two types of suffering. (laughs) There's a kind of suffering that comes about because of your own indiscretion or because of your own choices or because of your own behavior, because you opened your mouth when you should have shut up, uh, because you went when you shouldn't have gone. Because you said yes when you should have said no. And so you suffer. And when you suffer 
that kind of suffering. Don't pretend you are suffering for the sake of Christ. <laughs> you have to be honest with yourself and say, this I brought on myself. And that's okay. His grace will still keep you because he's a father who cares about you. He's a father who loves you and he'll preserve you because you are his precious child. But be honest with yourself and say, as for this one, Namibua. This one is my own wahala that I brought on myself. And this is, there's a second kind of suffering. A second kind of suffering that comes about because we have an enemy. So in verse 8 of chapter 5, he says, stay alert. I think the King James says, be sober and be vigilant. You know, stay alert. Keep your eyes wide open. Have all your senses right about you. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around. He roams around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You do have an enemy. See, this is true. You do have an enemy. And if he has his way, he will steal your joy. He will steal your peace. He will destroy everything that is beautiful about your life. So be alert. And verse 9 says, stand firm against him. Stand firm. Resist the devil. Stand firm against him. But how do you do this? How do you stand firm? And then he concludes by saying, first you go through your own battles with the devil, and you go through your own battles with your emotions, and as you suffer, remember this. It's important to remember this. He says, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. Amen. He says, you're not the only one who is suffering. You're not the only one who's been disappointed. You're not the only one who has received a diagnosis you don't want to hear. You're not the only one who feels lonely. You're not the only one who sometimes questions if God really exists and if he truly cares about you. And then he concludes by saying that, but the suffering we suffer, okay, compared to the gain that awaits us, he calls it eternal glory. Amen. Amen. Whatever suffering we suffer, whatever pain we bear, whatever grief we endure, is insignificant in comparison to the benefit that, are, that awaits us. Amen. And he says, this is the kindness of God. Verse 10. In his kindness, our God is kind. Amen. Say, my God is kind. My God is kind. Amen. It says in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you. And he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I know today when we go to church, we don't want to hear about suffering. We want to hear about blessings that will manifest now. In fact, I've heard preachers contort scripture and will say, now, because the apostle James Jordan said, 
faith is a substance. In fact, he begins the King James, the translation says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I say, it means faith is now. <laughs> that if you have faith, you'll see it now. It will manifest now. Believe now. Receive now. Now. That's not what the scripture says. The scriptures say in his time, he makes all things beautiful. Amen. There were certain prayers we prayed for and believed God for now that if we had received, would have destroyed us. Certain people we were sure were the right person. And then when they went ahead and married somebody else, we started hearing stories. And we're like, who? I served the train wreck. Amen. But when he writes this letter, there's something he says which I think is profoundly important for the church. And it's the point that God cares about us. Amen. In fact, if you look at the book, First Peter, it's instructions. You know, he starts talking about who we are in Christ. And then he goes and he talks to slaves and says, slaves, obey your masters. And today we find that quite offensive. But what we forget is that before Christianity, there was no human society where people believed everybody was equal. The concept of equality before God is actually a Christian philosophy. It is God's idea. Amen. That you won't find in human history any society that believed that all human beings are created equal. <laughs> that was Jesus. Amen. So, in the early church, they had this problem where for the first time in Rome and Lapodosia and in Greece and in all the places where Christianity was spreading, the slave owner and the slave would both give their life to Jesus and all of a sudden, they would call each other brother in Christ, sister in Christ. And if the slave is not mature, it became complicated. Because... I moved from being somebody's property that he could treat anyhow to being his equal and if, if we are both discipled, I could even become his deacon or I could become his pastor. And the slave master sits there and the slave is preaching to him. And the slave will serve him communion. And he says, kneel down, let me pray for you. It was shocking for its time. Amen. The concept of being equal before God, that in Christ Jesus there is neither male nor female. Even today, people struggle with the idea that men and women are equal in the eyes of God. Even today, in 2022, there are some who were inherently raised to believe that men are better. <laughs> if, if that wasn't a problem, we wouldn't need feminism. But all this activism happens because you find well-educated people who still believe this lie. And 2,000 years ago, these guys were preaching that in Christ Jesus, there is no male, there is no female, there is no Gentile, there is no Greek, there is no slave and there is no slave master. That in Christ Jesus, we are all one. So he writes these letters to the churches and says, yes, in Christ Jesus, we are all one. But God is also a God of order. So slave, respect your master. Forget about him. Serve him as though you are serving Christ. Amen. Otherwise, you become a hypocrite. When he is around, you be all nice. And when he's not, you swear at him. And that is not the spirit of Christ. And then he goes on, he speaks to wives. 
And remember, he didn't say in verse 3, in chapter 3, he, he didn't say women submit to all men or respect the authority of all men. It was a very, very specific instruction in verse 1. He says, in the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. So each woman who is married must accept the authority of her husband. Look at the language. Accept the authority of your husband. <laughs> men that there were many who were rejecting the authority. But to be fair, there are certain men you meet and you realize that it can be quite hard to accept the authority. <laughs> because, you know. And so for the woman, this becomes her suffering. Amen. This becomes her suffering. That she has to accept the authority of this guy. That becomes her cross to bear. And then for the man, in verse 7, he says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. And what is interesting is that this is not man's instruction to man. This is God's instruction to his people. So the instructions are not conditional. Amen. God's instruction to the woman has nothing to do with the behavior of her husband. And God's instruction to the man has nothing to do with the behavior of his wife. So to the man who is told that you must honor, give honor to your wives. Give honor to your wife. Imagine being married to a very, very saucy woman who treats you like trash. And talks down to you like you're nobody. And goes like, and when I was even dating, like, why didn't he marry you? You can't honor somebody you disrespect. You can't honor somebody you look down upon. You can't honor somebody you despise. And so for the man, this becomes his cross. That the Spirit of God compels him to honor a woman he probably regrets marrying. He says, you can't go and stand anywhere and speak bad about her. You must honor her. This concept is not complicated. We all know how we honor our bosses. We'll write a citation. We'll present it. So he said, this is how you treat your wife. Honor her. When, when your parents come around and you're speaking about your wife, your words must be honorable. You must speak of her as though... <laughs> She's Angel Memuna. So, for the man who finds himself in a complicated marriage, this becomes his cross. Amen. This becomes his suffering. And then he talks to elders and to, and to young people in the church and says, respect the elders. And tells the elders, respect the young people. And you have, if you have elders who live and speak as though the world is not evolving, for young people, this can become their cross. You have a pastor who still believes that, and you're like, Pastor, this is 2022. <laughs> we don't need to handwrite announcements. We can type them out. And if you pull out your phone and your Bible is and says, No, 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 no. The Bible has to be printed. If you are holding a phone and reading your Bible on the phone, you are not spiritual. <laughs> and you have to say, Yes, sir. And that can become your cross. Amen. And, but he says all this suffering is okay. Especially if you focus on the reward. Amen. Amen. So, 
the instruction was never that men should subjugate women. The instruction was never that women can choose and pick and choose how they treat their husbands. The instruction was never the instruction was that all of us must conform. But why? It says because God cares about us. I remember about when I was about to go to boarding school, my mom sat me down and gave me plenty of instructions. When you go, don't do this. Don't work with this kind of person. If you need anything, call. Don't go and take somebody's this. Ninety percent of what she said, I don't remember. Uh, like most of us, we never really remember. But why was she giving me all these instructions? Because she cared. Amen. When we start realizing that God's instructions are not to stifle us, think about it. Every nerve in your body, okay, every nerve, every tickling, every feeling, every, in fact, your ability to expect, desire, or comprehend desire or stimulation or excitement, all of that he put in you. So it's like me buying my son a Ferrari and giving him some instructions. And then he looking at the instructions and thinking, my dad doesn't want me to have fun. My dad wants to stifle me. It doesn't make sense. If I really don't want you to have fun, why would I give you a Ferrari? Do you think about it? If God doesn't want you to have fun, why did he create you as you are? But he says, if you drive the Ferrari in the wrong place, not only can you die, you can kill somebody's mother. You can kill somebody's pregnant wife. You can kill, you know, you can destroy not just your life, but other people's lives. So follow these instructions. Amen. And when the Christian gets to realize, and, and to be fair, to be fair, many churches have weaponized scripture, many institutions have weaponized scripture and used scriptures to suppress people. So I can understand when people rebel. But when we get to this place where we understand that away from the politics of church, <laughs> away from the politics of society, in the private, personal relationship with God, all these instructions he gives are just so that I will be safe. Amen. So that I will be safe. That's all it is. In verse 7 of chapter 4, just so you get a sense of this, I'm rounding up. But in 7 of chapter 4, he says, The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And verse 8 is, Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. Amen. Not superficial love. Not niceness, but kindness. Oh, praise the Lord, sister, how are you? No, no, no. That you take genuine interest in each other. Amen. When somebody says, I have not been feeling well quite lately, and you tell them, oh, I'll pray for you, that you actually make time to pray for them. Amen. It's most important to continue to show deep love for each other. For love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. You know, that's so many instructions, so many expressions of his love and of his kindness. And all of it is for our benefit. Amen. Since God has given each of us a gift from his great variety 
are spiritual gifts. I want to encourage you, I'm teasing you to read First Peter again. Take your time, go through it, and you realize God really cares about you. He, he really, really cares about you. He cares. Let's say, God cares about me. If you're looking for the specific scripture that says it, it's First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. And it says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Amen. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Uh, there's a song we used to sing when I was a kid. I think we also sang it in Scripture Union sometimes. Cast your burdens onto Jesus, for he cares for you. Take your troubles to King Jesus. He'll be there for you. There are two versions. I think there are a few versions of that song. Amen. It says, but cast your burdens onto him because he cares. Amen. Do you believe God cares about you? Do you believe he's closer to you than you are to your own self? Do you believe it? Because if you believe it, it changes everything. When you see his instructions, you don't see them as something to stifle you, but actually to protect you. Sometimes we see people throw their lives away. You see it. Because you see them take a decision. And you can, you can tell, you know, as, as the apostle, you can tell. But you know that, especially in the church where we don't call each other pastor, we don't use titles, you know. They only inform you, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm quitting my job. Oh, my boss was rude to me, so I'm resigning. You know, they are not asking you for advice. They are not asking you for counsel. They are just informing you. It's all right, all right. Oh, okay, okay, all right. May God lead you and guide you. But you know, it's a wrong decision. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch people. But sometimes maybe it's okay. Because they want to make their own mistakes. Cry their own cry. And then the Apostle Peter will tell them, when you are crying that kind of crying, don't pretend it is Jesus you are crying for. You know, it's not because you went on evangelism or you went to tell somebody about Jesus and you are being persecuted. You started treating, treating his commandments as suggestions. Too many people avoid suffering. In fact, I have seen people sacrifice a future they know will be bright. The true future they want. Because they don't want to suffer the suffering they have to suffer now. So if it's a university program they start, they don't finish. And they'll give you... You know, Christians are the best at giving excuses. No, they'll spiritualize it. And at some point they can even tell you, Oh, God told me to quit school. And personally, if you ever tell me God told you to do anything or say anything, instantly I go quiet because who am I? Oh, God told me not to marry him. Okay. Because somebody else showed up with a Mercedes. And look at his Toyota and the tires are tired. But instead of being honest about it, he said, God told me. So I said, okay, if God told you, Learn to embrace suffering. Amen. Let's confront suffering. 
Amen. It will save us a lot. I've seen people who, and it's sad. But many times, suffering is just the price you pay for so much that is better. Amen. For the sake of just immediate comfort, people throw their future away. Because they couldn't wait. Because they were not patient enough. Let's pray. Father, help us. <laughs> help us see as you see. Help us understand that your instructions, every single instruction of yours is for our benefit. That your instructions are just to protect us. Because you care about us and you love us. And those of us who have been victims of abuse, Lord, we pray that you help us heal and to forgive those who exploited and took advantage of us. And help us to see the difference. Help us to understand when Christian leadership is genuine and is intended to help and support us. Holy Spirit, draw us deeper into yourself. Draw us, draw us to that place where we can use the variety of gifts you've blessed us with. For everybody who is disturbed and confused and find themselves in dissonance, may your peace overwhelm them, Lord. Grant them clarity. Let your will be done, Lord. Help your children, Lord. Help us. Until, like the Apostle Peter, we can embrace every suffering we have to suffer for your sake, because we know that we have a beautiful prize awaiting us. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If it blessed you, share it with a friend. For more information on how to fellowship with Accra Community Church, visit our website, www.accrachurch.org. God bless you.